Hey y'all, it's Mandy. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to take a moment and thank my patrons and premium subscribers who have been here partnering with me to create this work. I love doing this with a team. So if you are interested in being someone who creates this resourcing for people who live in care deserts or who just don't have a safe community to discuss grief, check out the show notes to become a patron of the show. You'll get access to monthly bonus episodes as well as our live chat over on Discord. And I would love to hear from you. Okay, that's all I had to say. Now let's get into this week's episode. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 83, titled It's Giving Main Character Energy with Becky McCoy. My conversation this week with my friend Becky is one that goes in a lot of directions. And that's also the nature of grief, isn't it? Becky McCoy is a spiritual director and coach, as well as a fellow podcaster and grief educator. Her work in her own life began at a young age, but kicked into high gear when her dad died only two years prior to her husband dying as well. As a newly single parent with two kids under two, Becky was forced to reckon with how she carried grief in her whole self instead of just trying to think her way through it. The resulting body of work, pun intended, brought her to the foreground of her own story, and I hope hearing her story inspires the same kind of action for you. Welcome back, everybody. I am here this morning with the beautiful Becky McCoy, and I'm so excited for her to share her story with you and just for you to hear her heart. Good morning, Becky. Hello. Welcome to Restorative Grief, my friend. How are you? Thanks. I am. I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, just okay. But that's me being honest. So. And that's absolutely what I love about you. And I, we were just talking off air about how your story is one among many, but because the fact that you are actually honest about what you're experiencing, it becomes so approachable and uh, invitational. So Becky, you are, I'll just give people like a quick rundown. Like you're this incredible mom of two and you host the Sucker Punched with Becky McCoy podcast, which I adore, by the way. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And you work for the Brian Daigle Foundation and you're hilarious on Instagram and you can tell more things about what you do because obviously I can't touch all of it with how busy. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty great. Okay, (laughs) Um, good. I'm the... (laughs) I'm the communications and outreach coordinator for the Brand Eagle Foundation, which is a local nonprofit um, that provides adult grief support and uh, works in the community to do suicide prevention and awareness. Yeah. So that is, um, I'm just so proud to be involved with the work that they're doing. They're really, really shifting how people talk about mental health and grief. Um, so that's pretty wonderful. And then I host Sucker Punch and blog and do some freelance writing um yeah and I kind of right now in these last couple years in my life my hyper focus I guess (laughs) in my work has been contemplative practices for grief and mental health and burnout and just um you know those of us who are overachievers or we're the good kids and the good students and whatnot have worked really, really, really hard. And then we kind of get smacked in the face or maybe we say sucker punched <laughs> um, <laughs> by grief and, and mental illness and burnout and all of these different things. And, um, you know, 
I think a lot of us grew up thinking that we could think our way out of it or that we could do more things to feel better. But really, uh, it's kind of the opposite. I think my work has really helped me personally to understand, and I hope it will encourage other people, that it's not about doing or producing anything more or proving that you're healthy or that you're doing it right Mm -hmm. but just learning to live and be human and that the process of grieving of healing of learning to live with mental illness is what is is the real important thing and that's where like the health and the living is yeah yeah I want to come back to talking about that um small quiet space as well in a minute but I I want before we go too far to have you just talk about a little bit about your story about why you do work in grief and mental wellness because it's Mm -hmm. not something that uh, we just woke up one day and thought oh my gosh I'm gonna totally revolutionize (laughs) this aspect of culture watch me go Um, it's usually that horrible slap in the face punch in the jaw that pushes us there so what terrible thing do we have in common? Yeah. Um, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, actually that's true. That's a bad question. But, uh, but, but, uh, the yeah. one that you're going for <laughs> is, um, grief has just been like a house guest that never leaves, mm-hmm. um, for my family. My mom's mom died when I was four. She was in her early fifties. My mom's dad died when I was nine or 10. He was in his, I think, early 70s. Um, You know, I only have one grandparent left now. I've lost coworkers. I've lost professors. I've lost close friends. Um, And within, you know, now we just witnessed the 10th anniversary of my dad's death and the 8th anniversary of my husband's death. So, I mean... I absolutely have gallows humor and will kind of joke with people that funerals are my hobby and I'm really good at them. Like I can throw a really good funeral. <laughs> Listen, you need ambiance. I got ambiance for a funeral. Yeah. We just set that expectation. That's now. right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know how to do, do a really good one. Um, <laughs> but uh I have, it's been really hard, not just in like the obvious grieving and losing people that you love. Those are really hard things, but grief has revealed so much to me about myself that I don't really love, love. (laughs) I, uh, when my dad died, I had a newborn because he died eight hours after my son was born. And I decided, you know, I'm a new mom and I am, you know, it's really sad that my dad died and I really miss him and this really sucks and it's awful, but, um, you know, dying is part of living and we'll, we'll just get through it. And I very much intellectualized my grief and didn't let myself really feel his loss. And so that didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) uh because as much as I could tell myself you know this is normal and natural and your parents die before you and uh yeah it sucks but here we are I didn't allow my body 
to like my body and my mind were in very different places right. in the grief. And I was really ignoring the grieving that my body needed to do because mm. uh, it didn't feel productive. I thought I could, you know, solve the problem. It was, that grief was a problem to be solved. And if right. I could figure it out and understand it, then I could move past it. And yeah, I'd be sad, but I wouldn't be grieving. I would, it all, grief almost felt like a distraction. Mm. Um, yeah, so that didn't go so hot. Um, and then when my husband got sick, I was like, okay, I have to do it differently this time <laughs> because my husband died when I was eight and a half months pregnant. So, I knew, and I had a two-year-old, so I, I I mean, just life was different, and it was my husband, not my dad, and I was going to have a newborn and a two-year-old and be on my own, and I just, I didn't know how I was going to grieve or, like, what the grief would be like, but I just knew that I couldn't make it purely intellectual again. So, um, I would just kind of let myself fall apart and started learning how to listen to my body. Mm. I am someone who in grief typically needs to kind of stay busy and have a lot of things to do. Um, part of that is like the ADHD tendency to want to avoid all things that don't feel good, (laughs) (laughs) but also, um, I just have a really hard time identifying and feeling emotions. And also I had two children, so I didn't really have a choice except for to just keep, you know, kind of barreling along. Um, and so those first couple of years, we stayed really busy and it was really hard and really exhausting um, because in some ways my body was forcing me to grieve. But in other ways, I knew that I had to push off the grief because I had a newborn and a two-year-old and, and I had so to like real. survive until yes. they could both be in school. And that's really how it worked out is that I grieved along the way, but I feel like I didn't really collapse into the grief until my youngest was in kindergarten. You had finally some space during the day that your falling apart could be personal and not just like a crafted, okay, they're gone for an afternoon. I can fall apart for (laughs) 15 minutes and then I'll go ahead and get the laundry done. Or maybe I'll cry during laundry. Oh, that's yeah. effective. That's creative. Yeah, okay. multitasking. And yeah. you feel very <laughs> intentional, right? And you feel very like, why? Look at me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I should start a podcast about how to weep while you fold laundry. Um, yeah. Because it's, it is wisdom. It is a breakthrough where maybe before you would have said, no, again, stiff upper lip. I have to stay present and, and really focus on this task at hand. When the reality yeah. is, like you said, you're, if you're not knowing how to feel your emotions and ignoring your body, well, emotions begin in the body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we just don't, we don't know that, or we don't give them credit. Exactly. Um, and that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned is even just with my therapist having to sit down and say, 
my body feels sad today. I couldn't even say I feel sad. I had, I could only observe that my body feels sad. Yeah. And, and that was for a while that had to be enough to just identify the emotions that were sitting in my body. And, um, yeah. It's interesting that you say that too, because there's, um, a school of thought about somatic intelligence and body Mm. work that actually says when we give ourselves permission to see our whole self as parts that are integrating, Mm. yep. You go from saying I am sad and, and merging with that emotion, that feeling of sadness Mm -hmm. to something in me feels sad Mm. to then the observation and felt sense of, I am sensing that something in me is sad. It actually Mm -hmm. creates ability to access that emotion in your body differently than if you were to merge with it and say, I am sad. So even though you're saying like, oh, I couldn't even say I'm sad. You kind of worked that body intelligence backwards, which is brilliant because a lot of people struggle to find and experience felt senses in the body. And of course, Mm -hmm. now you've done all that work. And so you can say, well, yeah, now I know what my body is experiencing. Yes. But that's a really big, um, I guess I'll say misunderstanding because when we say I am sad or I am angry or I am grieving, Mm -hmm. like those are true statements, but they also have a tendency to keep us kind of at a distance from being able to not um, intellectualize it, but to really observe ourselves and to stay present Mm -hmm. with it instead of, instead of intellectualizing and saying, oh, I'm so sad. It's because I'm, I've I've lost someone that matters to me and thinking our way through it. Right. Because if you can figure out why you're sad, then you can find a solution for the right. problem of why you're sad and then yeah. you won't be sad anymore. Right. As it's opposed to like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd love those. <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, but when I started to really observe, oh, my body feels this way, it allowed me to just sit with it and yeah. observe it and allow the sadness to be there. And that was a first for me. Mm. Um like in life. I don't think I've, I've ever been so aware of my emotions and of what my body and my heart and my mind need as I have in the last few years, since now that both of my kids are in school, I have the time to really explore a lot. Hmm. It's something that most people would still, even in your situation in similar saying, okay, I have space to Mm -hmm. be alone. Right. Even if they had like you maybe planned and said, when my kids are in school or when I have that space, this is what I will do. Um, I think that's a familiar response. I also Mm -hmm. think it's a very, okay, well, but now what do I read a book? Mm -hmm. Do I Mm -hmm. just decide to do yoga? Do I just schedule time to cry? Should I watch a sad movie? Like, yeah, I don't actually know when or Uh when I, when I get that space, I don't know what I'm going to do or how do I actually grieve because it is that tidal wave that comes out of nowhere. Yep. Um, so how did you invite yourself in that, in the beginning stages when you finally realized, okay, I've got some space now my Mm -hmm. season is changing in life. How did you decide this is the space I'm going to carve out to start grieving? And what does that look like for you? (laughs) Well, conveniently or not so conveniently, I got COVID. Yeah. A month after my youngest started kindergarten and out of that developed long COVID um, that is 
shown up as a lot of joint pain and swelling and fatigue. And so for like the last two and a half years, well, I would say for about two years after I had COVID, I was mostly like stuck in my bed. Yeah. And when you're someone who is accustomed <laughs> to not having a ton of unstructured time, and then all of a sudden you can't have anything but unstructured time. <laughs> yeah. Uh it really forced me to reckon with a lot of things. It it forced me to not be able to distract myself from sadness when the waves came. It forced me to really let myself get angry not you know angry that here I am dealing with this like really disabling outcome from a global pandemic but also that I'm a single parent mm -hmm. dealing with, right like I don't have a spouse to help me with the kids even on the days when I can barely walk because my feet hurt so bad mm -hmm. um and so I really had to feel and accept the fact that I was feeling those things yeah. without finding a solution and just allowing them to be what they were. And I think that was the only way I was going to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you called it unstructured time because that's such a great way to put it, that we have so much structure and framework around our days. And we think, and it's not a bad thing, right? There's mm -hmm. value and incredible wisdom found within those planned timeframes. And sometimes yep. we do have to schedule space to cry or fall apart, but mm -hmm. the, uh, reckoning with the lack of control over yeah. a circumstance is really a good yeah. way to be faced. <laughs> and it, it was really interesting. Cause I remember both after my dad died and after my husband died, um, I kind of resented the people that would just stay in bed in those initial like aftermaths of grief yeah because I didn't even have the choice to do that right um I don't think it would have been good for me I think I would have been bored like 15 minutes in <laughs> like cool um I don't know what they're so excited about with this by now yeah <laughs> yeah that's never uh that was never gonna work for me but I think it was being sick forced me to have that experience and it's not necessarily something that people need, right? Like, n there's no framework for grief in that, like, you need a period of being isolated. You need a period, you know, people try right. and impose those frameworks. Right. And it doesn't work because we all have different, like, contexts within our lives right. and responsibilities and needs. And, but um, I really, being stuck in bed those couple years, really forced me to accept my humanity mm. and it's kind of like the actual real authentic version of when my dad died and I was like well death happens we're human blah blah blah, blah. right now I'm like oh it's not that death happens I should get over it it's that grief is this inherent part of being human and because we will grieve many times in our lives that doesn't mean it should be easy or mechanical or something that we kind of flip on and off, but it's something that is part of us and is part of the human experience. And 
for me to intellectualize it away or try and solve it is to just say like no thank you to this part of myself and like this part of my humanity and and I don't want to do that because I don't think that's healthy it's definitely something where uh, we see a lot of self-protective behaviors come out when impermanence becomes the center of conversation for people. Like their mm-hmm. own blip of existence, our own short time frames on this planet in, in light yeah. of the length of eternity and the mm-hmm. days, how long the days are. Um, we see that a lot. There are people who, who truly do not have that safety to wrestle with impermanence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you may have felt that you didn't have it either. And yet I think what you said earlier about taking time to become introspective that treated your body and your heart and your mind in a way that they were given kind of respect Mm -hmm, that maybe you hadn't given them before Mm -hmm. space to really expand say, well, what does humanity in my body, in my life really look like? What is that experience going to be here? I think we, oh totally yeah. because up until and I um I finished seminary during those years I like wrote so many papers laying down in bed it was really uncomfortable <laughs> but I did it um but that was one of those things that I really um was challenged by in seminary was like really realizing that I up until then had lived with this perspective of myself as like me is my brain and then I just have like this body that's like the car that drives my brain around everywhere oh that one that perspective (laughs) is so hard for me to tolerate I love that you brought it up say more yeah and like and and part of it right is that I have ADHD I have this neurodivergence that makes it really difficult for me to be aware of my body and to like connect with my body. And I have to be really intentional about practicing that and reminding myself how to do that. So it's, you know, it's through no fault of my own. That was just kind of my natural relationship with my body, but to really force myself to say like, no, my, my body is also me. Yes. Um, and, and my body has its own wisdom and that's, my mom is a grief therapist. And so we talk a lot in our family just about how like the body always knows first. Sure. And if, if your body is like suddenly feeling like really awful and really sad and, and you don't know why, not that Mm. it matters why, but like, but you need, it's just kind of out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you look at the calendar and you realize, Oh, I have a grief anniversary coming up. And it's not always like the anniversary of when someone died. It's a lot of times for me, it's the anniversary of when my husband first started showing symptoms Yeah, or it's right. Or it's the beginning of the school year because my kids don't have a dad to celebrate another year with, right? Like any of these triggers, our bodies start to tell us ahead of time. Yep. And I'm really thankful that I have begun to really learn and work with my body mm-hmm. and to listen to my body and to to acknowledge and like you said respect that there is wisdom here the mm-hmm. I you know if you drew a picture of me and had to color in 
before I would have said I'm like 90% intellect and brain and like 10% body. And who cares about that 10% anyways? Yeah. Um, but learning to, to just kind of let those even out a little bit more. And I think what you brought up too, is really the beautiful thing to remember that even in the midst of being activated and having something in your body rise up first, right? There's a Mm -hmm. Grief event coming and our body reminds us by becoming a lot more achy or more fatigued. For me, it's always fatigue. When I, Mm -hmm. when my energy level drops, because I'm usually at 104, I know that something is coming and something's going on that I'm not noticing. Yeah. Um, I love that in that same place, our body also has the ability to be resourced really well and to Mm -hmm. become grounded and to give ourselves permission to experience like, oh, there is wisdom here because there are pains. There is a story that my body has experienced, right? There's this activation um, that's been brought on, but Mm -hmm. I also still, still contain and have access to calm and have access Mm -hmm. to peace. And even in my body, I can say, well, my, my back is hurting, but my hands uh, feel really good today. And I can bring Mm -hmm. my thoughts to those moments in my body that are also at peace, recognizing that it's not one thing or the other. I think in my grief work and especially my own personal experience of it, the way that I started was noticing, okay, fatigue is going to traumatize my entire body. I'm just going to have to give in and lay down. Mm -hmm. And that was such a hard thing for me, not because Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to be uh, structured all the time, but because I like to be involved. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have to produce something. I just want to be involved in what's being produced, like witness what's You're being active, produced. yeah, active. Yeah. Engaged. And the, the difference of recognizing, uh, this pendulation is what they call it right back and forth mm-hmm. between the unrest and rest in my body was for me noticing, okay, when I come to a place of rest or when I need to rest, or I feel fatigue, what is it? Is it mental fatigue? Mm-hmm. Is it physical fatigue? Is this emotional fatigue? And how is it affecting who I am right now and who I want to be? Mm-hmm. It became such a, such a source of wisdom that, like you said, in our body that allows us to, instead of become very fatalistic about grief work, I think that yeah, it's so easy to say like, well, if I start grieving, I'll never stop. So I can't. And every time I hear that, I just want to say, well, that's true to a degree. You'll never stop grieving. But the difference is grief is not sobbing hysterically everywhere you go for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. At the foundation, we talk a lot about um, Anne, who is the founder, um, and she does a lot of, you know, speaking at different conferences and things. And this illustration she uses, I just love it so much, is that, you know, we talk about how grief doesn't end and that can feel so overwhelming and awful to someone who is in that fresh grief that I'm going to feel this way forever. Like, well, no, actually your, your grief stays the same all the time. And we have like an illustration of like a marble and your grief is that marble for your whole life. It doesn't grow. It doesn't shrink. It just is the marble. But as your life continues, your life is like a jar And the jar gets bigger every year. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So when you look at it, it seems like the grief is smaller because it's a lot easier. There's so much more space to hold more things than maybe at the beginning. 
all that can fit in your tiny little jar is your one marble. Yeah. And that's why grief feels so overwhelming. Um, but it'll still be there. I like to say, like, I carry my grief in my pocket. Like, it comes with me everywhere I go. But but I can carry other things along with my grief. It's not so heavy and overbearing that that's the only thing I can carry anymore. Yeah. And that's part of that work we do, right? Is learning how to expand our capacity in a way that is not expectation laden. It's mm-hmm. not trying to meet someone else's needs or someone else's desires for our lives, but it allows us to say, well, what do I want? Mm-hmm. What do I actually want to shift into after this? Because I, you said this off air, I think, but um, I thought grief wasn't something like losing these people we love wasn't awesome. It's not good for me. No, it didn't I'm change not, life for the yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. How do you, right? So <laughs> our role then becomes how do we not silver linings ourselves, but yeah, but actually become curious and compassionate toward this fact that there is still always going to be, if we are, if we choose it, a net positive after a transition, no matter what mm-hmm. that transition looks like, we can develop net positive if we are present, if we are intentional, if we are curious and compassionate, especially as someone who is a single parent now, what would you say to someone who is in that boat, who's trying to silver linings themselves? And that's such a weird way to say it. Someone who's trying to look for silver linings (laughs) and, and they're not really ready to stay in the middle of that mud for themselves, but How do you give them permission to say like, yeah, celebrate little moments that feel like independence, that feel like healing, that feel like sunshine? Mm -hmm. I start with affirming that the loss and it doesn't, isn't always necessarily the loss of like a human person. Like sometimes it's the loss of a job, a house, a relationship, uh, you know, their fertility, like all of these things we experience as grief. Um, but I usually start by just acknowledging and affirming that the loss they've experienced is profound. Yeah. And of course they're hurting. Like, of course you are. That's this awful thing has happened to you. And because yeah. I, it, we have such a black and white mindset of like, either I am destroyed by my grief or I am totally fine. It's like, no. <laughs> you more than not you are destroyed by your grief and <laughs> you're yeah. totally fine right oh, like, and my friend yeah exactly and and so just allowing those things and I think about that a lot when people will always tell me oh you're so strong you're so brave like look at all the things that you're doing and I I haven't figured out the perfect response yet I'm gonna get there one day but okay. it frustrates me to no end because I'm like I'm just doing like I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall over yeah. here. <laughs> It'll stick when it's ready, but for God's sakes, the second yeah, it's not. Like I'm not trying to achieve anything. I'm not trying to like be best single mom of the year. My children, I don't actually don't even know how they would answer <laughs> that question <laughs> to be frank. Um, <laughs> Cause those are just not my goals. My goals are not results oriented. My, yeah. my goals are to listen to my body are to, you know, now I'm in this season where I, I love like the meme or the thought of like main character energy. Yeah. And, and so much of my life, I have played the supporting role. I've been the quirky best friend like my whole life. 
both uh, as like a typecast <laughs> in actual like musical theater and whatnot. <laughs> but um, but just in my life, I kind of settled into that role and and that was OK. But now, like, OK, I've done this work. I really know who I am. I know what I need. I know how to listen to my body. And I really don't want to get to the end of my life whenever that may be mm-hmm. and say I missed out on so many things I wanted to do or that would have brought me joy because I didn't think that I could pursue those things. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's another one of those grief lessons, right? Like someone at Keith's funeral said, oh, how lucky that he died right after he finished med school and with a beautiful wife and two children. I was like, lucky for who? Like, <laughs> like I would. I don't um, feel so lucky. <laughs> I, I would like to break the news that you're about to get punched in the face. Yeah, I don't exactly. know how to say it any differently. And right. Um. And and I, as much as I hate that that person said that to me, <laughs> I I do. I want to feel that you know when I'm at the end of my life because it will come because I am human. Mm-hmm. Um that I didn't sit back and say, oh, I wish I could do that, but that's not for me. Mm. And so a lot of times I'll think about, this is so nerdy. Um, I'll think about the TV show Loki and how mm. they have all the variants and yeah. all the different right paths and it. ways that life could have turned out. Mm-hmm. And and that helps me. Like It's really hard and painful to think about the the variant of me that maybe has like four kids by now because Mm. my husband didn't die right and Mm -hmm. who knows where we're living because we were in the air force and you know that variant of my life is so different than this one um would it have been wonderful yeah probably would have been great (laughs) yeah am I really mad that I'll never know what that would have been sure of course I am but also if that had been the version of my my life that I had lived what are the things that I have now that I would really be missing and wondering about Mm. so it's not that I'm glad my husband died of course I'm not (laughs) but I I can see that there are still so many wonderful things happening in my life that the fact of his death opened up the possibility to yeah yeah I have a friend who uh, once upon a time said, this person was keeping me from my destiny. It was a beloved mm-hmm. person to them who mm-hmm. died unexpectedly mm-hmm. and very young. And they said, now mm-hmm. I get to be who I was always meant to be. And mm-hmm. I pushed back so hard because I heard them saying they needed to die in order for me to fulfill my life's purpose. Right. And right. at the time my mom had just passed. And I remember thinking, I have so many cuss words that I can be creative with right now that I'm going to teach oh, yeah. you because how dare you think that another individual's mere existence is your roadblock. Like you are yeah. the person who embodies your life. You are responsible. Right. And to a degree now, of course, later, years later, I can see what you're saying to, to that person as well. And just would ask them yep. to word it differently, of course, because no, right. no one is standing. <laughs> you didn't need is... them to die. Right. But yeah. You, but I feel very similarly in some ways because 
this work that I've stepped into this embodiment, uh, coaching and grief work and education, all of it is not something I would have chosen. And yet mm-hmm. conversations like this, working with clients, one-on-one, whatever it is, those moments, I walk away from them feeling energized, feeling like I've mm-hmm. just touched the sun. This is purpose. Yeah. This is fulfillment. Yeah. Um, and I think to go back to something you said earlier in the beginning, you were talking about producing an external, like external production of actions and making sure you get things mm-hmm. done. You've shifted to that valuing of internal rest and being mm-hmm. present. And mm-hmm. it has, it has shifted everything about you. And I think that that is something we really struggle to see in the world until we reckon with loss in some way. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think I lived so long. Well, I didn't understand until I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, the number of things that cause us to be overstimulated, like mm-hmm. grief causes us to be overstimulated. It is not a, a stimulus per se. You know, it's not noise. It's not our, our five senses aren't necessarily experiencing it directly, but when we are grieving, that takes up a lot of our ability to process stimulus. And so I used to, instead, I used to just turn up the sound and everything else, right? Like my kids will be in the backseat on a road trip and one will have like an iPad and one will have like a switch or a phone or something. And one will have it kind of too loud. And instead of asking that kid to turn it down, the other one turns their volume up. Then the right. other one turns their <laughs> volume up. Then the other one, turn, right? And so the volumes just keep competing and it is unbearable. But that's what I used to do to try and kind of avoid my grief was turn up the volume on everything else. Wow. Whereas I've now learned to turn down the volume on everything else so that I can really pay attention to what the grief is doing. And usually... The grief is like, okay, thank you. See you later. <laughs> right. And either yeah. packs up and leaves for a while or just kind of goes and sits quietly in the corner and and doesn't require my attention anymore. And then I can turn the volume back to normal on everything else. Um, but that's that's been a really tough lesson to learn. I think that is a really beautiful place to um leave everyone wondering for themselves what they will do <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> their story. Um, Becky, how can people who are just inspired and excited to learn more about what you do and uh, who you are, how can they get in touch with you? I am on all social medias at Becky L McCoy and my website is Becky L McCoy.com. So I'm like stupid, easy to find. Same. And so good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, my podcast is Sucker Punched, and you can find the Brian Daigle Foundation at BrianDaigleFoundation.org. Awesome. I'll make sure all of that's in the show notes as well. Um, and Becky, can I just say that I was absolutely 100% right about you? I adore you, and I think that the work that you do, but most more than anything, the person that you are is just so damn delightful. You're like a warm hub. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here and for sharing your heart. Totally. Thanks for the work you do too. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to episode 83 of Restorative Grief. Becky's sense of humor is no accident. 
This woman has fought tooth and nail to be the integrated and joyful human you heard on the show today. And you can tell the hope and grounded nature of her work is embodied in her character. And she is 100% the main character in her own story. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief, I hope you feel something stirring. Grief work is difficult, but not impossible, because you're not doing this alone, no matter what you think. If you're interested in a larger, supportive community of people to talk about loss and grief, consider joining the Restorative Grief Project, which is my free online coaching group, or consider becoming a patron of the show to join our quarterly live chats on Discord. The links for both of those and more are in the show notes, or you can always come find me on social media under at Mandy Capehart. I'd love to hear from you and hopefully learn a little bit more about who you are and what you're experiencing in your own grief story too. And as always, one last thing. Please remember, the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.